Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, my Voice America listeners. Very happy to have you with us today. I hope that you have reflected on some of your past successes while diving into all those challenges during the last week. We've tried to bring shows that will help you better understand individuals with disabilities and to give you resources and people and share families living with disabilities. Um, I want to start off the show today um, talking about two things, actually. One, I'd like to send our sincere condolences to a staff member that was killed in a hit-and-run accident last week. Her name is Jessica Torres, and we are missing her very much at Total Programs and very sad for her loss. At the same time, we had a very tragic event occur last week at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and I'd like to put out our thoughts and prayers for the people, not only in the temple, but all of us as a combined community to be able to live together in in harmony. So some thoughts out to Jessica and to the people of Pittsburgh. So today I'm really excited um, to have on the show Ellen Snortland. She's an author, she's an activist, she's an actress, she's like this multi-talented renaissance woman who's like amazing and we're going to get to know her better today. Um, I have Ellen on with us to discuss her life growing up with a mother on the autism spectrum disorder continuum, specifically Asperger syndrome, more than likely. Ellen created a a one-woman show called Now That She's Gone to explain her time with her mom. And it was that play that I saw some years ago that introduced me to this fascinating person. So she's going to join us a little bit later in the show. Um, I really wanted to do a show. I've done shows about children with autism. I've done shows. uh, We did a show a couple of weeks back with Julie Hornick about her new book, United Autism, talking about moms with, uh, uh, with children with autism. And now I want to talk about a a subject that not a lot of people talk about, which is moms with autism. It's not a a very well-researched area. There's not a lot of people out there yet that, as professionals, that really kind of know what they're doing around this. Um, But... There are many, many people out there living with autism and many parents, mothers and fathers, who have autism themselves and raise children and raise children well. Um, Ed Ridvo out at UCLA attempted to do some research back in the 70s and 80s and then again in the 2000s on moms with research, excuse me, moms with autism and they kind of got shot down. Uh, he wasn't really funded. 
the UC didn't really want to take it on. They didn't really believe in a sense that a mother could have autism because people with autism don't fall in love and they don't have children and they don't have relationships, which is all untrue. Um, Ira Hervel, who's a uh, local psychologist, has an organization with, working with kids with autism, is kind of retired now and he's doing more of his work on love and autism and going to have him on the show in about a month if I can get him on, uh, because I want to discuss that whole idea. So I want to go through a couple stories of, of moms with autism and, and see what you think. Okay, so being a girl or a woman with autism is hard. It's only in the past two or three years that many professionals have begun to recognize that the condition is not limited to boys and men. But what's harder is to be a mother with autism. And harder than that, is to be the mother with autism of children with autism. Experts say that there is a hidden pool of mothers who have grown up with undiagnosed autism. These women often only recognize their own condition when researching their children's symptoms. About a fifth of people with autism are thought to have been diagnosed as, a, as adults, although no national figures or adult diagnose, for adult diagnosis are available. Women with autism are most likely to remain undiagnosed. A survey that was done in the UK found that twice as many women were undiagnosed compared with men. Even once diagnosed, mothers with autism often hide their condition from the outside world, terrified that their children will be removed from them if social workers misinterpret their autistic traits as indicating potential harm for their child. Their own autism, often diagnosed, often undiagnosed, means they put professionals' backs up and can be accused of causing or fabricating their children's conditions. And that was came from some research done by Judy Gould, who's at the Lorna Wing Center for Autism, who developed really the first and only female-specific diagnostic test and who trains doctors in how to recognize late adult female diagnosis. So let, let's talk about a couple of moms and see what they're living through. So Laura James, married with four children, aged 19 to 26, two of whom are neurodiverse and two are neurotypical. Laura James has written Odd Girl Out, the first memoir by a British woman with autism to be published by a mainstream publisher. She was diagnosed uh, about a year ago. I mothered my children in, the very, in a very different way to neurotypical mother. For start, I never told them off about anything. It, doesn't, it just doesn't seem logical to me. If they're doing something you don't like, it's because you have a preconceived idea of how children should be or behave or look. Well, that's illogical. If, on the other hand, they're doing something dangerous, then it's much more effective to sit down and discuss it with them. If they're in trouble, I'll do everything practical I can to help them. It would be illogical to punish them. James tells how one of her children was always a straight-A student while another of them was not academically inclined while in school. I'm equally proud of them both because I want my children to be content, happy, and in a place of safety. To me, academic success isn't a logical step towards the goal. 
I love my children desperately and would do anything for them. But I do think I don't understand the fieriness that comes about when people talk about parenting. I simply don't feel that sense of passion that neurotypical parents seem to feel. It could be because of this lack of passion that I have a different relationship with my children than most parents do. They like to hang out with me and message me just as much as they do their friends. And there's nothing they would not tell me because they know I would never, ever get angry at with them. If they're in trouble, I'll do everything practical I can to help them, which means it would be illogical to get angry, upset, or punish them. So it's just a different way of looking at how she parents her, her children. And actually, she kind of feels that James feels that she's closer, possibly, to her kids than maybe other parents are, or that their kids have more of a peer relationship with her because she has had the attitude that she's had towards parenting. So let's listen to, or read a little bit about Kristen Hurley. Kirsten Hurley. It's going on 8 p.m. In, in Kirsten Hurley's house in, in Ireland. It's a scene of happy chaos. The children, Alex 9 and Isla 4, have been promised chocolate if they stay out of their mother's hair while she talks to the journalist via Skype. This is something that drives me nuts, Hurley says, the nonstop and often intense sensory input that comes along with being a parent, being grabbed at, being climbed on, listening to the drone of mom, 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 mom can be difficult for her to handle because she has a mild form of autism, sometimes known as Asperger's syndrome. Hurley was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at age 23 when her son was about 14 months old. Alex received his own autism diagnosis about a year later. In some ways, their shared condition has made it easy for Hurley to parent her son. Alex always kind of seemed really logical to me. She says, I love by contrast does not seem to be on the spectrum and her ordinary preschooler behavior sometimes baffles her mother. She has an insatiable need for attention from Hurley's perspective and she might be do something like reject a cup of orange juice moments after specifically requesting orange juice. The, the things she does that I think are really abnormal because Alex does, didn't do them are actually like typical children things. Hurley handles many such puzzles of being a parent on the autism spectrum with self-awareness and a healthy dose of humor. But at times when she has reached out for help, she has been misunderstood. Hurley once mentioned to a new therapist that she was seeing that she has asked that she was seeing that she has Asperger's syndrome. The therapist asked if she loved your children, which wasn't very helpful. Hurley says people have these kinds of misconceptions about people with autism that they don't have, feel emotion. Hurley is not so far out of the ordinary as one might assume. A surprising number of people diagnosed with autism are raising children. An online survey recruited more than 300 mothers with autism, suggesting that there are probably thousands of parents diagnosed with autism worldwide and perhaps hundreds of thousands or millions without a diagnosis. More evidence comes from Facebook groups and messaging platforms and blog comments where parents compare notes and share solving strategies. It's uh, not a lot of research has been done 
And autism can pose challenges for parenting, as their stories indicate. In addition to dealing with sensory overload, helping children or helping a child learn social skills can be difficult for people who struggle with social interactions themselves. But autism also can provide valuable parenting skills, especially for a child who's on the spectrum. Still, as far as the scientific literature is concerned, these parents, well, they may just not exist. It's not only in the past few years since scientists have become interested in studying adults with autism that they have begun to ask questions about the group. I think that we're seeing now in the 21st century is a recognition that people with autism are perfectly capable of participating in all aspects of life, but they have, may have been doing that almost invisibly, and it includes parenthood, says Simon Baron Cohen, who's a director of the Autism Research Center at the University of Cambridge in the UK, and he's a very well-known individual. The lack of research, and he wrote a book called Mind Blindness, if you ever really want to get to know Simon Baron Cohen. Um, it's all about theory of mind and kind of a way maybe people with autism may think. The lack of research so far not only offers these parents little support, but also leaves society unprepared for the larger age that they may be, cons- for the, I'm sorry, may make them unprepared for the larger wave of people diagnosed, undiagnosed with autism in our coming age. So we have our first break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, finish up a thought, and then we'll bring Ellen on to share some of her thoughts with us today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 
1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, listeners, and I hope you grabbed yourself a cup of coffee and settled in while you're waking up this morning and getting your day going. We are talking this morning about moms that have autism and not moms with children with autism. They may also have children with autism, but these are moms that are neurodiverse and who may or may not have children who are neurotypical. So... I was starting to say that the lack of research so far not only offers these parents very little support, but it also leaves society unprepared for the larger wave of people diagnosed with autism who are just coming of age and may be considering having children. Right now at Total Programs, we're starting a new social skills group for really 16 and older, 16 to like 25, because... Uh, this is a group that is the uh, new new adults. These are the new citizens of the future. And they're going to have relationships with people. They're going to have jobs. They're going to have kids. And they're going to go to the Halloween trick-or-treating events and all the different things that everybody else does. So if we don't prepare them for that future, well, shame on us because it is our job as professionals and as parents to make sure that our kids are prepared. It's just so hard. Without enough information or support available to them, these young people may conclude that becoming a parent is just not an option for them. And it's not true. It, it breaks my breaks my heart to even say these words. But that's a message that's been heard. Does having autism or Asperger's, does that mean that being a parent is just not the thing for me? Says Matthew Lerner, who's an assistant professor of psychology and psychiatry and pediatrics at Stony Brooks in New York. The experience of, of Hurley and many other parents who are pioneering what it means to be a parent with autism could temper that worry with hope. So... We want to make sure that we talk a lot about people like James and Hurley so that people get to understand what it's like to have autism and at the same time be a parent. It's also from the kid's point of view. What is the kid's point of view? How is it different? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it like any other child where there are goods and bads? Um, this is why I'm excited to have Ellen Snortland on the show today because she had that experience and it was probably 10 years ago that I saw her and her play and I have never forgotten it. I took my students from Cal State Northridge to see her because I wanted people to know what it was like, not just having autism and being a school psychologist to go out and diagnose the kid, but what is it like if you're a parent? And, and I wanted my students to have all experiences. My large background is looking at siblings. And are siblings affected, whether they're neurodiverse or neurotypical? So let's talk a little bit about Ellen. 
Ellen's like this amazing person. Okay, so Ellen Stortland is a lawyer, a teacher, media, theater, creative writing teacher, first-time author, book coach. I got to get her to help me write my book. An empowerment self-defense instructor. She's a regular opinion columnist for the Pasadena Weekly and various blogs, including the Huffington Post. Ellen has been a speaker for the UN Press Corps, credentialed journalist, and a delegate for the major United Nations World Conferences, the Women's Conference in Beijing, and the Conference Against Racism in South Africa, and the Commission on the Status of Women in New York City. She was the president and co-president of the United Nations Association, passing the chapter for years, as well as being on the board. Now, Ellen's play, now that she's gone, is a play that explores Ellen's often hilarious, irreverent, and sometimes torturous relationship with her Norwegian-American mother. Now that she's gone has been described as a Lily Tomlin, Garrison Keeler, Eve Ensler hybrid, passionate, poignant, and funny in turns, a memoir piece with Eleanor Roosevelt, sex, drugs, Ludafix, I even know what Ludafix is, and the play and performance has received rave reviews and standing ovations in California, New York, and Washington. And the show isn't just for women. There's even a chase. There's even a chase scene. It's a wonderful show, and I would love if she would start doing it again. Now that she's gone, was first produced by the EMP Theatricals at, in 2008 at the New York International Fringe Festival and premiered at the Annenberg Fringe Festival for a European run for 30 days. So Ellen is just an amazing person. She got her BA in theater and film at UC Irvine and her JD at Loyola Law School in LA. She has participated with Landmark Worldwide Education Program since 1973. As I said, she's a playwright and a performer of her one-woman show. She has recently authored Beauty Bites Beast, Awakening the Warrior Within Women and Girls, a how-come book about women's personal safety featured on Dateline NBC and NPR. She is the director, writer, producer of the documentary Beauty Bites Beast, The Missing Conversation About Ending Violence. Ellen is the co-author of The Safety Godmothers, along with fellow self-defense expert Lisa Gaeta. Ellen's TEDx Pasadena talk explores her mission to empower people through self-defense. She lives in Altadena with her husband, Ken Guberman, and their three naughty dogs. I could just go on about who she is, but let's bring her on and get a conversation going. So, good morning, Ellen. Good morning. How are you? Very fine. Thank you for being on the show today. I wish that I could, on our website, I have shared all of the links to your trailers and your books and your articles. And so I want people to have a chance to get to know who you are um, and absolutely pleased to have you with us today. There's so many aspects. We're going to have to have you back to talk about other things too but to start tell me tell me about your one woman play which was about you growing up with what you now know as a mom with autism well i can only speculate because i um un- un- uncovered the uh 
I, I strung together things after my mother passed away, unfortunately, uh-huh. and I couldn't do anything, you know, diagnostic or encourage her to get a diagnosis because sure. she was passed away. But, sure. <clears throat> but it seems like a lot of people, especially women, as I was saying earlier, kind of self-diagnose. <laughs> and that diagnosis doesn't necessarily come from a professional. It comes from somebody like you who really knows the person and starts looking at all the symptomology and goes, hmm, something's, yeah. something's up here. Yeah. I, I I started the journey of um, identifying her as um, not neurotypical um, when I read a an article on the front page of the New York Times by Amy Horman about undiagnosed adults with Aspergers and it every single thing it was textbook and I went oh 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 <laughs> um, okay and then. As I look further into my family, it looks like we have undiagnosed and diagnosed Asperger's on both sides, my father's side and my mother's side. And one of my cousins is um, is diagnosed, and he uh, verified that with me. And, you know, all I could really do is talk to people who were my mother's contemporaries and when, after she died. And when um, I told them what I thought, they, they all went, oh, that's it. That's what it was. So it gave mm-hmm. them a lot of peace, too, because um, my theory is that there are a lot of Northern Europeans who are from cold climates that um, the, the ability to not um, get all emotional, the ability to uh, keep your opinions to yourself, to... Uh, you know, it's highly valued in a in a culture where you have to be in a small cabin for many months with other uh-huh. people. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, yeah, the God honest truth is that where it's cold, people tend to make more babies. Then thus there would be uh, uh, more people with autism in the, in in Norway. <laughs> well, that, there may be that too, yes. except that if um, uh, <laughs> it, it, I think my mother was an incredible mother. Um, Mm -hmm. and what I didn't get in affection, I was given a lot of freedom to do things that other neurotypical mothers would have cringed at or would have been afraid for me with. My mother Mm. only encouraged me to do what it was that I was good at, and she encouraged me to fail if I was failing. She just never... She never had a cow over anything, which is like, I'm so grateful. I just didn't have uh, a mother that was lurking over me, censoring every single thing. She just was, she really allowed me to be who I was. Isn't that interesting? Because that's in that little story that I read, too, of Hurley. She kind of talked about that also, that she didn't really get into punishments and, and and James talked about that too both both moms did they, they didn't get into the punishments they really tried to more connect with what their kid was trying to do and allow yeah. them to explore no. maybe my because mother, my, they never understood nev- oh, I'm sorry no maybe it's because they never understood why people always said no to them or yeah. stop them from doing things and they couldn't understand the the logic behind it so they they kind of made it that they weren't going to be a knower they weren't going to stop their kid from doing things yeah no that's that's Precisely my experience. My mother never tried to guilt me out. She just, and she encouraged me. She also knew at some level that 
there was something going on with her, but she couldn't put her finger on it. However, what she did is she held up examples for me of how to be. She completely loved Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, so my mom would say, okay, you can be like Eleanor Roosevelt. You don't have to depend on good looks. You don't have to depend on anything other than your commitment to well-being and justice. And so, you know, I just really lucked out. Well, you lucked <laughs> out, day. but you got one thing wrong, because the people on the radio can't see you, but I know you're gorgeous. So oh, she well, got the thanks. whole not looking good thing, totally off. Now, the Eleanor Roosevelt strength and power, that definitely you've got. You've got that in in tenfold. We have our first break, or our second break, so we will be back in just a couple of, a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back, listeners. Very excited this morning to have on with us Ellen Snortland. She's this amazing Renaissance person who has created a play called Now That She's Gone, which is about her mom, possibly, who had autism and went undiagnosed until her death. And 
Ellen, some years later, kind of realized that maybe her mom did have autism, and we're just talking about who she was. So, Ellen, to bring you back on, so tell me, what was that greatest part of your mom? We were kind of talking about several things, including how she really looked up to Eleanor Roosevelt, and I made a comment about uh, beauty, and you said during the break that, you know, go ahead, continue, that your mom had said something about beauty. Well, she saw that a woman's beauty was, first of all, very subjective, and secondly, fleeting. I mean, it's not like you can depend on youthful beauty for the rest of your life, so she encouraged me to look up to somebody whose intellect was something that I could aspire to, or education. She loved that Eleanor Roosevelt was so self-taught and so aware of justice, and you know, worked her butt off to uh, work for justice for everyone, including women. So my mother really raised me to become who I became, which is um, a person who fights for justice for women and kids and everybody, really, by extension. But that's my focus, and that's my area of expertise is women and kids. And I'm sure she, you know, uh, she always felt neglected, my mother did, because she was obviously brilliant and never really was encouraged to use her brilliance. It's interesting because of her, her enjoyment and her, her looking up to Eleanor Roosevelt, you had all this work that you have done over the years with the UN, which was really Eleanor Roosevelt's start. Yeah. Wilson kind of started it, but Roosevelt, Eleanor really was the one who wrote out the the treaties of the UN, and um, so you really have followed in her footsteps, and especially in our area, but you have really carried the torch of empowerment for people, people of diverse nations, and women. Tell me, what was that, that greatest part of your mom? Um, well, the greatest part of my mother was that she really, um, she just didn't make a big deal out of anything, which I loved so much. She, um, she, she liked what she liked and she, um, but she never scared me. She never said, she never warned me like you shouldn't do that or you, you shouldn't climb a tree. She encouraged whatever it was that I wanted to do. Um, which I kind of got into earlier, but I can't emphasize enough yeah. how important that was to me. I got to be authentic, and she and she validated my authenticity. She didn't want me to be phony. She didn't want me to be vain. Uh, she she just was. What you see is what you get. Which, it's interesting you know, for, because a lot of families that I work with, their kids are often, and the parents that I believe are on the spectrum, are often kind of ridiculed for not paying attention to something, for not giving something energy that should have been given energy. For instance, if the kiddo does something that they shouldn't do based on societal norms, there's no reprimand, there's no uh, uh, priming to do something different from the parent. And you are talking about it as a strength, which is a much 
I don't want to say better way to look at it, but it's a very different way to look at it than the norm in my work because so often the parent is seen as, well, she's just not, you know, this is why she shouldn't have been a parent because she doesn't have all the aspects of knowing how to keep it all together, how to problem solve, and she just ignores stuff and hopes that it goes away. But it doesn't sound like that's what your mom did. It sounds like she... Didn't make no, big was, deals. She was, very cl- she was very clean with how she dealt with me. She would simply say, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. was it. I didn't, she didn't give me the cold shoulder. She didn't, she didn't try to punish me or to uh, make me feel badly. She just said, you're not supposed to do that. And that was it. And that as a kid was enough for you too. Yes. You. You were able to, do you have, do you have brothers or sisters? I have two sisters, one seven years older, the other is 14 years older. Interesting. I, I believe one of them is on the spectrum herself. Um, Ah. And she would, um, she would deny that. Uh Um, And because there's a lot of misunderstanding. I don't think, you know, a lot of people relate to uh, being on the spectrum or Asperger's as a mental illness, which I don't agree with whatsoever. In no, fact, it's... there are qualities to uh, Asperger's folks that I think we are um, we need to be grateful for. I mean, absolutely, just... and learn from, huh? And learn from. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's not mental illness, though. People with Asperger's may have a combination of their Asperger's, which is a a, a a neurogenic disorder, meaning that it doesn't come from emotion. It comes from something that has to do with the brain. But they may also have depression or anxiety or other forms of mental, what we might call mental illness, because oh, yeah, of, of who they are as a human being. So right. that... That's often the hard part, too, to distinguish between what is autism-related and what is this person going through in life that has brought on the depression or has brought on anxiousness. Right. Most well, and, and also substance abuse. Um, there are people yes. who I suspect are on the spectrum, and they don't know it, and they're upset about it, but they don't quite know how to put their finger on it. And well, so, it's the anxiety yeah. part. It's the anxious yes, part that they're living this constant. Like, yes, huh? they they're living this constant anxious life. We right. we know that the research shows seventy percent of people with autism have anxiety. My experience over thirty years shows like a hundred percent of people with autism deal with anxiety. And yeah, right. if they, of they there's a lot of of uh, self medicating, and it's one of the areas that we try and work with, which is dual diagnosis of autism or developmental disability and addiction, which is actually a bigger and bigger area. It's so interesting that you bring it up. Uh-huh. But yeah. And the reason why I asked you about siblings is, do you feel that they dealt with your mom differently than you did? Or did they have the same kind of, you know, I mean, I had a very different experience with my mom than my sister did. So I think it's an automatic that as siblings yeah. you're going to. But I mean, substantially different where they felt that she couldn't do her job as a mom. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I, my sisters don't agree with me. Now, oh, my, yeah. my mother's contemporaries, when they were alive, they agreed with me. Uh, yeah. My father had predeceased my mother, and um, 
so I don't I couldn't talk to him about it but I talked to my my uncle and I talked to my mother's best friend and they just it they had the the light bulbs go off over their heads mm-hmm. they went oh, my uncle in particular was kind of a big enchilada in the educational system in North Dakota. And he had not had a good relationship with my mother. And he came to see my show when I did it in North Dakota. And he, at the time, was 92 years old. And he he was involved mm. in uh, special needs education for kids. And afterwards, he said, you know what? I saw your show now. I can forgive your mother because I think you nailed it. And nobody knew. Nobody knew. They just thought she was stuck up. Right. She was so pretty. But people did not encourage women to talk. No, nobody in my mother's generation said, hey, what do you think? Hey, why are you so quiet? They just wanted her to be pretty and, you know, look nice. But Right, she, which was, the uh, unfortunately, a role put on many women in the prior to 1965-70. However, it's interesting that her brother, who was a special educator, also may have had some challenges with her because he couldn't fix her, but he knew something was up. He knew right. something that was, was my, going on. That was my father's brother, by the way. Oh. Uh, not my, my mother's uh-huh. brother. Um, <clears throat> but, but still. He, my, my uncle Howard was very, very close to my dad, and I know my dad was heartbroken because my father was very very affectionate and um <clears throat> that she he didn't get any affection from her and not because she was holding anything back that's just not how she expressed herself how did so, they uh <clears throat> how did they fall in love i don't think they did um how'd they meet well they grew up in a town where there are maybe uh 20 people in their class mm-hmm. <laughs> in a tiny little norwegian town in north dakota where most people spoke Norwegian, and mm-hmm. the tradition pretty much was if that the the prettiest woman would the prettiest girl would go with the smartest boy, and that those that was my parents, and um, I don't think they were in love. I think it was just expected that they would get together, and they did. And how long were they together? Over fifty years, and they hated every <laughs> minute of it. Really? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, they were so, so they, miserable. They struggled. And, oh, they didn't even struggle. They went. They, they were, there was a time when they went and lived in the same house and didn't speak to each other for a year. So it was, it was not, a happy, not a happy marriage at all. And it's interesting because one of the questions I had for you is, how did your father handle it? Well, it sounds like he didn't handle it too well. It was well, pretty hard on him. I mean, he did his best, but it was hard. It's hard yeah. to live with a in a. So, do you feel like it was that it was loveless? That there was no. Oh, a- absolutely! I will. I will assert that it was loveless, completely. But would she care for him if he was sick, or for you guys if you if there was an illness or if something needed to be quote unquote taken care of? Oh well, they were all they were very very dutiful people, and they were farm people, so. Everybody did what was expected of them. Mm-hmm. It was there was no question about that. Um, no, but I but I met your mom. Like, if one of you girls got sick, was what was the uh, the the nurturance like? Was it like here's some soup, take care of yourself, or no, no, no? She 
could, you know, she knew how she was supposed to behave, and she did. She she did a great job. She was a wonderful cook, and she was very, very sweet. She was a very sweet person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it just shows you that one person with Asperger's or one person with autism is one person with autism. There's no right. two alike. We have no. another break. We have another quick break. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, listeners. This morning, we are talking with our guest, Ellen Snortland, about her experiences with her mom, who was possibly living with autism. She was never diagnosed while she was alive, but there was this, you know, these uh, feelings that Ellen always had, that something was different. And then after reading an article in, I believe you said, the New York Times, she uh, started to put things together. One of the things that Ellen and I were just talking about during the break was this concept of what people are predetermined to be. A lot of people listen to my show, want to know, you know, what's my kid's future going to be like? What's their life going to be like? And I really believe, you know, we've we've all seen this, the musical Wicked. And in the musical Wicked, 
you know, the girl Alphaba is born green. And because she's born green, people say she's wicked and she's bad. But she's a sweet kid. She's a nice kid. She doesn't do anything to anybody. And she keeps going through this life where everybody keeps saying, oh, she's wicked, she's wicked, she's green. Well, finally, she just decides, well, hell, I guess I'll just be wicked then. Well, it's kind of like what I think happens with a lot of kids with autism, that they're told that they're going to be aloof, that they say to themselves that they don't have emotion, that they don't love. There's even what I brought up earlier, which is a concept called mind blindness or theory of mind, or a lack of theory of mind, the ability to put yourself in the shoes of another person. Simon Baron-Cohen wrote this book called Mind Blindness to try exp- to explain this, this conception of people with autism not being able to get other people. But mm-hmm. some people have taken that as an offense. Like, wait a minute, I can feel what other people are feeling. I can feel their emotion. I just don't always choose to act on it. I always, I don't always choose to be altruistic and help somebody out or be empathetic, but I can see it. And maybe, Ellen, I wonder if your mom kind of had to deal with that, where people put these concepts on her and she just kind of had to live them in order to, to get by. Um, I don't know about that, um, partially because of the really sexist, rigid gender roles that my mother grew up with. Um, yeah. um, she was bo- mostly judged on her ability to be a proper woman rather than, uh, I don't know, I, it, it's interesting. Well, be- she was expected to be nurturing, but I think there's this whole thing laid on mothers in general that has is sexist, um, like people are supposed to know how to be a warm mother. Not necessarily. Everybody's so different. You know, I just, right. I don't think it's fair. Well, I think the definition of warm mother is what's unfair because what could be warm, a warm output from one person may not be what another person is capable of putting out and may, or maybe far less than right. what another right. person is, is but I putting think women, out. I think mothers are judged much more harshly than fathers are. I, uh, I agree. Of, uh, uh, huh? I agree. And they're also yeah. stuck. I, I, I just used a word that I don't usually use, but stuck with all the child rearing and stuck with having to be the one that, quote unquote, raises the kid. I have right. an 11 and a half year old daughter. I try and be as involved in her life as 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 possible. I go to her things. I, but her mom definitely is more involved. And, right. and, well, and it's almost like society doesn't allow men at times to be as involved as they want I know, to be. But that's another concept. To be, you know, um, fair to fathers. But let me give you an example of something that my mother really appreciated. My first wedding, I insisted that my mother and father, quote, give me away, end quote. Uh-huh. Because I said, look, my mom <laughs> has been the one that has been on the front line of raising me and to have the father step forward and quote, give me away end quote. And then I also insisted that my groom's parents walk him down the aisle because it just, it just disses mothers to not be um, acknowledged for the work that they do. So, right. You know, and my mom really appreciated that. 
Uh, I always think that birthdays should really celebrate the mom. All the kid did was come out into right, the world. Me too. Me mom too. went through all the mom went through nine months of 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 everything and <laughs> and the labor right. and all the work. It has to raise the kid and do everything. So. I always, yeah. when I, a friend of mine has a birthday and if their mom's still around, I always send their mom a, a happy birthday too. But, you know, it's, it's different. You know, the, we, we have a society that has all these norms and then, or, or expected norms and some of which are changing, but the more we get out conversations like we're having today the more people with autism are going to be accepted into society because there's still, you know, you say autism and automatically people, you know, either think Rain Man or they think some hand flapping kid and they don't think that there's this whole, it is a continuum. There is a wide variety of people. And uh, uh, Brenda Miles, who is a, oh, an autism person has has written a book and and in her book she says you talk about you see if you've met one person with autism you've met one person with autism you can't pigeonhole them into and and just like i thought okay i guess ellen's mom was really harsh with her she didn't have much connection with her probably ellen grew up wishing that you know she had more hugs and kisses you know these are all assumptions that i make and I'm pretty off base. <laughs> you know, yeah. I it sounds like your relationship with your mom was pretty darn good and it was different, but you but you loved her, you enjoyed her. Absolutely. And I got my I got my snuggles and warmth from my dad. It's not like I grew up without it at all. It's mm-hmm. just that she my mom didn't meet societal expectations of how a mom is supposed to be, right? But she was um, she was a wonderful person, and uh, well, she turned out an amazing daughter. We only have oh, a couple minutes left. Uh, okay. What's next for Ellen? Well, I'm promoting the heck out of my movie Beauty Bites Beast because we know that it saves lives. So I feel like I've got I've got a moral imperative to have as many eyeballs on my movie as possible. Talk um, a little bit about it. We have a couple minutes. Talk a little bit. <clears throat> well. My first book, um, Beauty Bites Beast, um, came about because I surprised a burglar and he was ready to plunge a knife into me and I screamed so loudly he dropped the knife, grabbed his ears and ran away. All right. (laughs) I I was a segment producer at the time for a big talk show and having survived that, I went, huh, how come nobody's ever talked to me about what to do when you confront violence? It's like... Um, all I was raised to do was to think that a man was always going to be there to protect me. And I'm going, that's weird. That's weird because clearly I don't run around with a chaperone and I don't have a, a, a guard. And so why, why is it that nobody's ever talked to me about my potential to protect myself? Because clearly I'm the only one that's always with me. So I did an investigation and I, that was my first book, Beauty Bites Beast, which then I parlayed into a documentary many years later because a man read my book. Um, and th- by the way, there's a huge gender uh, apartheid. Even though we're all related to women and, and men, the narrative is that men's lives are universal and women's aren't. I'm so sorry, Ellen. 
but we've got to wrap. We are going to continue this conversation on another show because I've got to have you on for Beauty Bites Beast. Thank you so much for today. Remember that on Strategies and Solutions, taking on the challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be the new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.